Sideline Disney Podcast. Coming to you from iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker. You can follow me on Twitter at the Brad Whitaker. The Los Angeles Rams finally have a new starting quarterback. I'm going to talk about that situation today. And then I'm also going to get to the College Football Playoff Committee, which shouldn't even exist, in my opinion. Talk about that situation. The uh, next Top 25 comes out later this evening. Scintillating television, as always. But first, we'll start by getting with the main story that's circulating around the outrage media machine. This time from the sports media. Involving Phil Jackson, LeBron James, and the word posse. Unlike a different word that was circulating from Donald Trump a few weeks ago, this word is posse. Okay, well, let me get started by saying I am a big fan of how LeBron James has conducted himself from a career standpoint. Leaving Cleveland was a good decision, and then leaving Miami to go back to Cleveland was also a good decision. During his first stint in Cleveland, he became a superstar. He became an MVP. He made it to the NBA Finals, but he needed a few pieces in order to fill those expectations of LeBron winning tons and tons of championships, which he eventually did in Miami. The move made a lot of sense from that perspective. Of course, when he left Miami again, it also made a lot of sense, because when he went back to Cleveland, he pretty much gained ownership of that entire organization. Now, I understand Dan Gilbert is the owner, but when LeBron decided to return, Gilbert had no problem saying, look, LeBron, it's your team, it's your organization, you're pretty much the GM, and the firing of David Blatt last year also said, yeah, LeBron, I like Tyron Lue, but you're also pretty much the coach. It's made a lot of sense from a career standpoint from LeBron James, because now he pretty much gets to run his own team, and it's worked out pretty well so far. He's clearly surrounded himself with the right people, his game has evolved over the years, and he's valuable not just because of what he brings to the game of basketball, what he can bring, his production night after night, what he brings to the floor makes everyone around him better. That's what makes him truly valuable. It takes a number of different players to create chemistry on an NBA basketball team. The Warriors weren't created from Stephen Curry alone. It was Curry, Thompson, Draymond, a lot of great role players uh, in that bench. Harrison Barnes was there. That team's obviously evolved, and it's a bit different this year. But as you can see, there were a lot of pieces that came together to create that chemistry. All it takes is LeBron James and his leadership skills, and he can go to a team, give him a few months, and he can create that chemistry himself. So LeBron, LeBron's clearly been smart with his decisions. Uh, he runs his own organization pretty much with complete control now. Okay, so this morning I woke up, and uh, I wake up at 430 out here on the West Coast, which is 7.30 on the East Coast, and I briefly turned on ESPN and and read this quote from Phil Jackson. He was talking about LeBron James when he left the Miami Heat and what that meant for the Heat organization. Now, this is the quote that Phil Jackson said. I'm just going to read it. It had to hurt when they lost LeBron, talking about the Miami Heat. That was definitely a slap in the face. 
But there were a lot of little things that came out of that. When LeBron was playing with the Heat, they went to Cleveland, and he wanted to spend the night. They don't do overnights. Teams just don't. So now Coach Eric Spolstra has to text Riley and say, what do I do in this situation? And Pat, who has iron fist rules, answers, you are on the plane, you are with this team. You can't hold up the whole team because you and your mom and your posse want to spend an extra night in Cleveland. So I read this quote, and immediately I said, this is clearly kind of an old school argument versus a new school argument between two very different people with different roles that have had a considerable amount of success in the NBA. Phil Jackson has thrived from teams with a more strict organizational approach. You know, that being said, I'm sure he gave Kobe, Shaq, Michael Jordan some preferential treatment uh, during his time with the Lakers and the Bulls as head coach. But clearly Jackson prefers kind of a strict rigid organizational approach, whereas LeBron, whose role has only increased on his team throughout his career, he has more of an entrepreneurial approach because, you know, he's a player that kind of controls different aspects of the organization. Not just, you know, as you've seen player coaches in the past. He has control pretty much over personnel decisions, and he's practically the GM of that team. So clearly this is just a conflict of power. That's all Phil Jackson. Uh, he, he, he doesn't understand the situation completely. And it, this is, all that quote was saying is he, he understands why LeBron left Miami because Pat Riley had these rules. And these rules have been in place from the Heat organization for a long time. And LeBron just can't get that preferential treatment. But, you know, LeBron... Dan Gilbert had no problem handing over that power and preferential treatment to LeBron once LeBron decided to go back, because Gilbert realized LeBron's value. LeBron knows his value. Gilbert didn't know that when LeBron left the organization. He wrote that nasty letter. It was a whole mess, and then the team tanked, and then LeBron came back, and suddenly they're a contender again. They're back in the NBA Finals. A year later, they win the Finals. It's obvious LeBron deserves the treatment because he's more than just one player on the basketball floor. All right, that's what I got from the quote. So I turn off the TV, I do a little bit of work for a couple hours, and then I turn it on, and everyone is talking about Phil Jackson's use of the word posse. Now, that quote I just read, the whole quote, it took me about 30 minutes to find that quote on the internet, Because by the time I was researching this stuff, all of the news reports on the internet were just talking about how Phil Jackson used the word posse. Without any context or anything, they didn't even have the quote in the news stories. They just said, Phil Jackson used the word posse and here's why that's a bad thing. Then this comes out. I'm reading this from USA Today. James and his business partner, Maverick Carter didn't like the word posse that Jackson used in the quote. Carter, in response, said, It's the word posse and the characterization I take offense to. If he would have said LeBron and his agent, LeBron and his business partners, or LeBron and his friends, that's one thing. Yet, because you're young and black, he can use that word. We're grown men. So how did we get to this situation? 
Jackson, who probably doesn't fully understand LeBron's situation, and he is 70 years old. I'm not making excuses. He's, he probably made an oversimplification by using the word posse to make a larger point about Miami's organizational structure. But what ended up happening? The media quote mined a quote that was already mined. It's not even quote mining at this point. It's word mining. That, of course, fired up LeBron and his business partners. We saw that quote from Carter. LeBron actually said he no longer respects Phil Jackson. He said that today, or he said he used to respect Phil Jackson. Now, let me me reread this quote again. It's the word posse and the characterization I take offense to. This is LeBron's business partner. If he would have said LeBron and his agent, LeBron and his business partners, or LeBron and his friends, that's one thing. Yet, because you're young and black, he can use that word. Now, Carter didn't directly call Phil Jackson a racist, but that was pretty damn close. And you know the media's running with it now. If you look up Phil Jackson in racist, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of stories. Just stories. Just Google it. And we wonder why people voted for Donald Trump. Look, I'm not saying racism, sexism, xenophobia, all the isms and phobias don't exist. They exist at all levels of business, government, sports, etc. It does exist. That's not what I'm saying. But insinuating Phil Jackson is racist for using the word posse is absolutely ridiculous. So now posse is apparently also a trigger word. Sticks and stones, people. Sophisticated music would be the best way of transitioning after that rant. So, we've been hearing from LA Rams head coach Jeff Fisher that Jared Goff would become the starting quarterback once he's ready. Well, apparently he's ready because uh, today the LA Rams announced that Jared Goff will be the starting quarterback on... Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. This move comes as a surprise because it seemed as long as the Rams were winning, Case Keenum would remain the starting QB. Sorry, the music's still playing. The Rams won last Sunday. They beat the Jets 10 to 9 and they're na- they now have a 4 and 5 record. You know, 4 and 5 is nothing to brag about. It's, it's a very Jeff Fisher record. You know, Jeff Fisher's been a very mediocre head coach that has managed to hold on to his job somehow. But the Rams still won on Sunday, and it seemed that as long as if the Rams were in contention, Case Keenum would remain the starting quarterback. 
Because I think it's pretty clear that Goff isn't ready to command an NFL offense. If he were, we would hear players on the team saying, why isn't he starting? We would hear coaches talk about it more and more. Really, all the pressure is just from the Rams, the LA media, the Rams fans. Last week, of course, Rams were chanting, we want Goff. But I, the only reason I think Jared Goff is starting on Sunday is because the Seattle Seahawks beat the New England Patriots. I know this sounds crazy, but let me explain why. Had the Seahawks lost on Sunday night, I think Keenum would still be the starter. The Seahawks, who are in the same division as the LA Rams, if they had lost to the Patriots, they would have been 5 and 3 instead of 6 and 2. Rams are 4 and 5, they can catch a team with a 5 and 3 record. 6 and 2, a little bit more difficult. And the Rams play pretty well against the Seahawks. They beat them at home earlier this year. Historically over these last the last decade, the Rams have had Seattle's number. But at this point with a 6 and 2 record from the Seahawks and a 4 and 5 record from the Rams, winning the division is going to be very difficult. But after last week, it's become clear that earning a wild card spot could be even more difficult. The NFC East the NFC East been very mediocre, one of the worst divisions in football over the last decade. The four teams in the AFC East, the Dallas Cowboys, have an 8-1 record. New York Giants, after their win Monday night, 6-3. Washington Redskins, 5-3. Philadelphia Eagles, 5-4. In all likelihood, two of those teams are going to be wildcard teams. And of course, in all likelihood, Dallas or the Giants will win that division. Probably the Cowboys. And and then there's still teams, there's three teams in the NFC North competing in that division. You, you could see a wildcard team come out of there as well. So the chances of the Rams making the playoffs, even though they won on Sunday, went down a lot after their victory over the Jets. I don't think Jeff Fisher thinks Jared Goff is ready, but I think Jeff Fisher has accepted the team should go back into rebuilding mode. And it makes a lot of sense from Fisher's viewpoint because that might save his job. You might as well lower expectations at this point because, let's say, the Rams had a 7-9 and record last year. Let's say they finish 8-8 eight and eight this year. With their quarterback situation, that's probably progress. And, once again, enough for Jeff Fisher to keep his job. And it also makes sense, because that offense does need a spark. They've averaged just under 10 points in their last three games. Each of their last three games. I don't think it's all Case Keenum's fault that offense hasn't been productive. He's been very average out there. It's clear Goff has more pure talent, but... Keenum isn't really the big problem with that offense. So, if Goff is the starting quarterback now, maybe Jeff Fisher has given up. He has put the Rams back into rebuilding mode. Maybe he's trying to save his job because of the expectations from the media and from fans 
to get the number one pick in the draft in there. People are very impatient. They want to see what Jared Goff is made of, especially because Carson Wentz has had a great deal of success in Philly. And, of course, there's Dak Prescott, who was drafted in the third round, and he's in the running for MVP at the moment. Unfortunately, Jared Goff probably doesn't know how to properly call an audible. That's something he never had to do at Cal. But giving him the reps makes all the sense in the world if the Rams have accepted they will not make the playoffs this season. So this move from Jeff Fisher putting Jared Goff at starting quarterback I think indicates the team is going back into rebuilding mode. Doesn't mean they're not still going to try to win. But they know they probably have a better chance of winning with Case Keenum out there. More because I think Keenum's mistakes will be limited, at least compared to a rookie quarterback that has to learn a system he's not familiar with. The reason Carson Wentz was so successful in Philly is because he was calling audibles at the line in college all the time. He knew how to read defenses. He he didn't have to make that many adjustments to be a professional starting NFL quarterback. Jared Goff, it's a big uphill climb for him. And it could be a difficult season uh, the remainder of the year for Jared Goff. But it makes all the sense in the world if the Rams are rebuilding for the future. So, uh, it's, what is it, the third year now that the college football playoff has been a thing, and... I think success has been mixed. Uh, I thought they, were, they made a mistake last year by having games on New Year's Eve instead of New Year's Day. People are much busier on New Year's Eve. Uh, but it is exciting. I, I like that teams actually have to compete in the postseason. Uh, it, it makes things a lot more exciting. And uh, I think it was a good decision to go with the college football playoff. That being said... Does it really make much sense to have a college football playoff committee? Look, if you aren't familiar with the college football playoff committee, let me tell you what it is. Basically, it's 12 older dudes, mostly from the Southeastern Conference, the SEC. They just sit in a room behind a locked door, and nobody knows what happens in there. I would presume there's sweet tea and jambalaya, which sounds really great. But these men determine the top 25 teams in the country and ultimately who makes or misses the college football playoff, which at the moment is just four teams. There's a semifinal round and then the championship. Now, the CFP, that's the acronym for college football playoff, made a lot of sense because it replaced the BCS system, which was hated by just about everyone. The BCS, what it was, is uh, it ranked the top 25 teams, and then that automatically put them in various bowl games, where depending on where teams are ranked, and including teams out of the top 25. But people, people hated the BCS system not because of the rankings, 
certainly people argued about which team should be number one, number five, blah, blah, blah. But people hated the BCS system, not because of the rankings. They hated it because there was no playoff. All but two teams had something to play for in the postseason, besides some ridiculous bowl trophy. Making It made the regular season everything in a sport that has no preseason. That didn't make any sense. Your first game of the year shouldn't matter, and it does in college football. It's the opposite of the NFL, where they have four preseason games to prepare for the regular season. College football teams have to jump in right away, and then when the regular season's over, the BCS system just said, hey, all right, this is where you're ranked. And now we have 12 dudes who sit in a room and just do the same thing and then select the four teams that actually get to make the playoffs. Why did we do that? Why did we completely abandon the BCS system? I know it was hated, but the BCS system was high-tech. It was data-driven. You know, it factored strength of schedule. All these things that, you know, people from the Southeastern Conference with their biases probably aren't going to factor in. And, you know, the SEC's been very dominant. They control most of the college football playoff committee. And the SEC isn't as powerful as they were last year. The Big Ten's clearly the the division, uh, or the conference, that's the strongest in college football right now. Uh, Alabama's really the only team that's dominant in the SEC anymore. I just don't get why you abandon this high-tech system. You totally could have made this work with the college football playoff. Why not have the BCS ranking system, but still have the college football playoff? You can't have 12 older men sitting in a room, and nobody, it's no transparency at all whatsoever, and you, these people go on TV, and they talk, oh, well, we factored this in, and this in, and that, and it, it's not consistent week to week. You know, you have teams like USC, who it's almost impossible for them to to work their way back in because they started the season 0-3. You know, that's a team that could have benefited from a preseason. USC, they're playing great football right now. They've finally figured out how to install that new system, and they're winning games. They beat Washington last week. Of course, Washington is one of the highest-ranked teams in the nation because they were undefeated up until they lost to USC. And... When the rankings come out tonight, they're probably still going to be one of the uh, top-ranked teams in the nation. Maybe not in the top four, but they're going to be in the running simply because they've only lost one game and people fell in love with them when they were undefeated. That's not a proper system because Washington's in the Pac-12, which is weak as hell right now. Teams are getting better. Washington State, you know, that rivalry is interesting. Uh... But Stanford or USC, I don't know if they can contend with Alabama or the four teams in the Big Ten that are dominating right now. Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Big Ten's clearly the best division in college football right now at the moment. But you can't have this committee with people with their own various biases, and there's always human error. You can't have this committee determine which four teams are going to make the playoffs. If you're going to do that, you have to expand the playoff system. 
You know, NCAA has 68 teams that make the postseason. College football has four. Now, you're always going to argue about which teams are on the bubble. We're arguing about which teams are 67, 68, 69th, and 70th ranked in the nation every March. Do any of those teams even come close to winning the national championship? No. But if you had eight teams, look, here, here are eight teams right now. Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Michigan, Louisville, Wisconsin, Washington, and Penn State. Eight teams right there. Those are probably the eight best. Now, you could argue that certain teams should be in that top eight. Oklahoma, Colorado, USC, Oklahoma State, Utah. Lots of teams people think could be in that top eight, but if you, chances are those teams just out of that mix that I listed, Oklahoma, Colorado, USC, those that weren't in my top eight there, they would have trouble winning the national championship against Alabama. But when you have four teams, and you know, you'll have a team like uh, Wisconsin or, or Penn State, who has been a big surprise to everyone this year, just being cast out, maybe they can. You know, maybe they can. Penn State has showed they can, they can uh, be a good team. They were big winners on Saturday. You know, that Big Ten conference is going to come down to uh, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and Wisconsin, and not all of those teams are going to make the college football playoff. It's impossible, because Alabama's going to make it. Of course Alabama's going to make it, so one of those teams can't. You have an 18 playoff, they're all in there. And then you can compensate for this year-to-year change. The SEC isn't as dominant as it used to be. The Big Ten is now the conference to play in. You know, pro teams are going to be looking at Big Ten teams a lot more than they used to after this season. But when you have this college football playoff committee that was put together saying, all right, we got to look at the real powers in football. Obviously, we'll fill it with mostly people from the Southeast. And then when the Southeastern Conference isn't up to par to what it was the year before, they still get preferential treatment. Now, I know, I just talked about preferential treatment earlier with LeBron, but it doesn't make sense. You need a computer data-driven system to determine these rankings. I don't know why you have 12 older men sitting in a room with no transparency saying who should compete in the postseason. It's just a system that doesn't make sense. So, either get rid of that, expand it to eight teams, so then we actually know the national champion deserves to be the national champion. If you're the sixth-ranked team in the country... That could be a fluke. Maybe you are the best team in the country. If you're ranked number nine, probably not. You're probably not going to beat Alabama. I don't see why it couldn't be a 16-game playoff. I mean, teams take a month off in December preparing for bowl games. Why not have a four-round playoff? People would watch that. College football would be a hit. College football is so popular considering the product they put out there. I don't want to watch games that are 52-7, to 7, which most college football games are. In fact, I don't want to watch games that are 52-50. to 50. I think people enjoy defense enough <laughs> that they want to see some of it. Nobody wants to see no defense on the field. You might as well make 
the system better. Expand the playoff. You don't need 64 teams like basketball. But 8 or 16 makes a lot of sense. Then you're going to know who wins the championship. Or at the very least, get rid of this stupid committee. We don't need it. Okay, that's it for today. I'm rambling a lot today. But uh, hopefully I'll be back tomorrow in a little bit of a better mood. Uh, Until then... Subscribe if you're on YouTube. Listen up if you're on iTunes. Blah, blah, blah. And my Twitter, at the Brad Whitaker. Be sure to follow me. I'll be back, hopefully, to talk a little bit of basketball this week. I want to actually talk about basketball. I don't want to talk about LeBron and political correctness and all this stuff. This election just... Uh, I hate the false equivalency stuff, but both sides really piss me off. And, and, and let me say... I lean more liberal, but seeing liberals all miserable and the Facebook statuses and all that stuff, I... Oh, gosh. It's almost been a week. Or it has been a week now. And I'm still getting these Facebook statuses. And why don't we come together and and then, oh, here's a story calling someone a racist. I, I can't stand it anymore, okay? Now, the right wing has lived in their own bubble, but... Ah... You see, you're, it's leaking into sports, and I'm tired of it. I think we should all just try to actually have a conversation and stop mislabeling people. So that's it for today. There goes my rant. I'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye. Goodbye.